So welcome to the final of this season, ESPN Player College Football Podcast in association with Gridiron Magazine. I'm Simon Clancy, along with Matthew Sherry, the editor, and it is our look back at the College Football National Championship game between Clemson and Alabama. Uh, One in stylish fashion, I think is probably the the best way of putting it, certainly if you're an Alabama fan, um, by the Clemson Tigers. Matt, it was a, we, we predicted it would be a close game, a battle of the quarterbacks, could come down to the last team with a ball. You and I talked last week about, you know, who, which kicker could be the best if it came down to the last few seconds and somebody had to win the game with a field goal. And it was an absolute rout for the Tigers. It was one quarterback shining, the other one struggling a little bit. No field goals were necessary on this night, certainly not to, to win games anyway. Um, and Dabo Sweeney came out significantly ahead of Nick Saban as the Clemson Tigers win their second national championship in three years. It was a uh, it was a remarkable game, wasn't it? Uh, incredible for in many, many ways. I mean, not incredible in terms of how Clemson were, I don't think. I mean, the scoreline aside, because I don't think anybody thought they were going to win by 28 points. But I think incredible in the sense that, you know, you look back on it at the time, you think this is pure domination of one team much better than the other. We actually know that Clemson aren't that much better than Alabama, if they're better than them at all. But to me, the astonishing part was that it was an Alabama team that turned up and 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 we're everything that we don't associate with Alabama, which is a team who make crucial mistakes at crucial times, who are heavily penalised. And, and I actually thought the officials, you know, give Clemson some breaks, particularly with some with some holding calls on the defensive backs. I think they got away with murder to a degree. But you know, it was just Alabama not being good at situational football and Clemson being outstanding at it. And, and that is not something that we would ever associate with a, with a Nick Saban team, but certainly something that we saw in the game. Um, you know, I don't know what the final total was, but certainly by the third quarter, I think Alabama had had, had more yards than Clemson and were down by 21 points. So if you do that, it tells you that you've made critical mistakes at critical junctures. And I think that's what happened. Um you know, Dabo said something really interesting post-game, which was about the game last year in which Clemson were blown out by Bama. And he said, you know, I said to the guys, put the film of that game on, and I said to the guys, it's not like this was just a much, much better team. It was that they made these key players at the key times, and I thought that's how this game would go. And really it did, and the scoreline wouldn't indicate that, but there were certain players that turned that game and you know we've watched a lot of football games in our life site they get out of hand very very quickly if one team does everything right in the right moment and and the other team does the opposite it did feel early on like almost as if almost like we talked about the the semi-final between Oklahoma that Oklahoma had to score on each possession in terms of you know and I know obviously the pick six opened the scoring but then you know they're up seven nothing. Then Bama comes straight back. Tua hits Jerry Judy for the long touchdown. It, it, it almost felt at that point like you know Clemson have got to come back down the field and score, otherwise you know Bama are just going to start to roll. And they did. Travis Etienne scoring with that the the fourteen yard touchdown run around around left end. And then all of a sudden it was like oh, okay Clemson can Clemson can score at will. You know we kind of feel like Bama can score at will. Clemson can score. And then it, all of a sudden it came to a point where. Alabama are going to have to score on every drive because it looks like Clemson are just, you know, moving up and down the field 
at will. It, it was a fascinating kind of game within a game, wasn't it? Yeah, and, and interest. I'd love to know how many times Bama had the ball in Clemson territory and came away with no points. I mean, it felt like it happened on every drive. So, you know, Bama moved the ball and they made Craigle mistakes. And, it, and that isn't just on the field, by the way. The, the fake field goal is one of the worst calls I've seen in the history of football Ooh, in any game. Horrendous. Uh, for for a multitude of reasons, one it was ve- ve- very obvious that they would call it even before the guy looked at the sideline just before snapping mm, the ball. Nodded, and and then secondly, there is you know coaches call fakes all the time and they don't happen because the defensive alignment means that te- that you can tell the teams are ready for it. And and I mean, if you look at the Clemson defense, they they look like. A defensive alignment, not a special teams alignment, so they were ready for it. And um, you know, Nick Saban after the game attempted to take the blame for it, but then said we had a really good play called, and one guy never executed a block. You know, you could have put other three guys on, and there's no way that play would have worked. It was ludicrous, and, and I'd love to see how it's meant to work as well. I mean, I, I didn't even think it was that innovative a design play. I mean, it was just it was ludicrous, and it summed it it summed it up that the you know. It summed up a game in which what we would consider the most prepared team in college football were beaten by a team who who were much better prepared and frankly were outcoached as well. I mean, Dabo is Dabo is right there with Saban at the moment. He's obviously not right there in terms of historical context, but you know, you look at that game and 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 all of the games they've played, barring the one last season, and you would say from a coaching perspective, he can stand on the opposite sideline and and do this do the same kind of job Nick Saban can. It felt like on that uh, second, or actually what really was, the, yeah, no, the second Clemson drive, because um, they'd gone three and out at the start of the game, hadn't they? Then they'd thrown yeah. the, the pick yeah. six that Terrell had returned. Then the the Judy touchdown. It felt like Alabama had Clemson where they wanted to, didn't it? It was third and 14, deep in their own territory, you know, 11.02 left in the, in the first quarter. And then Trevor Lawrence hits T. Higgins on that long pass down the field, they had eight men in coverage, Alabama, at that point. They only rushed three, you know, and yet Higgins was three yards open. It, it seemed, and, it, and it, that was the second major mistake. The first, obviously, being the pick six, and two was, you know, inability to recognize the coverage. But at that point, it suddenly suddenly felt like, okay, this is this is different. We all feel like Alabama having this much time to prepare. You know, thinking they were likely to meet Clemson, so they would have done a they would have done a bucket load of work through December on Clemson, and then having the week to build up. And yet, it just felt like they were at the races. Yeah, and I mean, I do think an element of it as well is you know we just assume that Alabama and now Clemson. To be fair, they, these are the two programs that we, with maybe Ohio State as well that we assume could just constantly reload and be right back where they were the year before, and they have done. I mean, this Bama team was awesome, but we saw that there was just one more there's just another team who can do that as well there are two programs now who can do that and in the end when those two programs meet it becomes a situation in which maybe a little flaw that you have that no other team will expose will be exposed and for Bama this this game it was the defensive backfield I mean they lost I think five or six guys to the NFL in the last draft and then they lost guys to injury one or two guys to injury this year so it was a very very inexperienced group and 
you know, that brings me on to, I've seen a lot of people now start to write the Alabama obituary and how Clemson are going to win the next three national Hashtag championships. Fire Saban was a thing on social yeah. media, which was and, bizarre. But. And, and that, that's the lunacy of it all. You know, 12 months ago, Bama blew this same team out. And admittedly, the landscape's changed because Clemson now have a kid at quarterback who is as transcendent a talent as we've been telling people on this podcast for four months that he is. He's unbelievably special. So that does change it slightly, but by the same account, I haven't looked in deep at the recruiting classes, but I know Alabama have had a top three recruiting class for the last three years, and I'm fairly certain there'll be some young defensive backs to come into that, and I'm almost certain that all of the young defensive backs from this year will be much better next year. So in terms of the overall landscape, I don't look at it that Clemson have overtook Alabama. I do look at it now, though, that there are these two programmes that it's going to take an awful lot for any team to get up to them. I think college football is now in a place of two dynasties, and that's what this Clemson thing is, by the way. Now they've won two national championships in four years. Um, I think there's two dynasties coming at exactly the same time. I would get used to them playing each other even more. And and I find it fascinating that you've got... And it's exciting. I mean, a lot of people are moaning about that. Well, I'd rather have two than one, because at least when there's two... You know, we're having this back and forth every year between the teams, and and I just think it's great. And and without Clemson, I think it would be a pretty ugly college football scene of complete Bama dominance. But it's nice to see there's another program on that level as well. Clemson realistically did not much on first and second down all game. No, they were in third and long all game. They were a ten of fifteen on third down. They were they were hitting third and longs as if they were nothing. What what does that say about the the ability, both mentally and physically, of Trevor Lawrence? Uh, it says an awful lot about him and and the cast around him. I mean, he's got the perfect receiving corps for this because they're all big guys. But I mean, for for Lawrence it's himself, he just he's just ice cool, isn't he? So si? I still mean you were so excited watching this because it's hard not to think back to twelve months ago when we were on a dusty field in in kind of rural part of Georgia, and and he just kind of emerged from nowhere out of that locker room. Just and and I remember. I remember us from a distance thinking, well, this kid doesn't look that impressive. And then up close, he's got this outrageous stature. He's six foot four. But it's his, his personality. It's magnetic, isn't it, Simon? In a, in a very understated way. You know what I mean? He, he kind of, he's just cool as ice. And that, that shows on the field. And it shows in big moments on the field. And, you know, I read, I read something in a piece yesterday that Michael Phelps was born to swim. He's got like the web feed, his, his whole. His whole body's built to swim, isn't it? I don't, don't know if anyone, oh, if people know that, but his feet are essentially like flippers. He, it's a ludicrous anatomy that he's got to swim. And Trevor Lawrence has that to play to play quarterback. I mean, he, the zip on the throws is, is incredible. I've, I've never seen the zip on the throws at college level that, that you see with Lawrence. I'm still not sure he's... Certainly with touch throws, I think Tua, the other side, is a much better touch throw than he is. But, you know, Lawrence just keeps his head in big moments and... You know, it, it's a different scenario to Tua as well. Tua came into the game last year as a true freshman at halftime. He was playing with house money. This wasn't the same scenario. This is a kid who's played a few weeks now and, you know, the spotlight was on him and he, and he was just superb. And, he, and, and I think that is a harder situation than what Tua had last year. Like, I just think when you pre- you've had to prepare for it, you've had to think about it for weeks and to come out and perform like that and deliver on those key third downs, like you said, just says an incredible amount about him. And, and that's why Gil Brandt, the long-time personnel man for the Cowboys who works for NFL.com, has said he's the best true freshman quarterback he's ever seen. I think that's 
incredibly high praise and, and richly deserved. Mm. It, it felt like that the game was over anyway at this point when it was 37-16, early fourth quarter, and then Alabama turned the ball over on downs um, at the Clemson 11-yard line. And then they went on this just phenomenal drive um, 12 plays, 89 yards, took six minutes off the clock. Um, a couple of critical conversions. There was the the third and 12 at their own 25. Lawrence hits Justin Ross for 37 yards. And then I suppose the play that really, I suppose the, the play that really summed up Clemson's dominance was actually the one-handed catch by Ross yeah. almost behind himself, which actually wasn't a great throw by Trevor Lawrence. That was probably um, his worst behind. throw of the night. Yeah, but it was just at that point where you could see not only did Alabama know that they were beaten, but it was almost as if they're, you know, they were just removing the souls of the tired players on the sideline. It happened on the sideline. You know, there was a kind of a, a few unenthusiastic out of bounds, but everybody knew. Uh, and I just think at that point, that was and certainly Lawrence said um, during the, his interview on the um, with Reese Davis on the podium when they handed out the trophy. He said that was the that was when I knew that yeah. it was over. Yeah. Um, but just that drive just showed, you know, ended with the five-yard touchdown pass to Teagans, which was just, you know, drilled over the head of Mac. Wilson. That was, that, I mean, that was, that was one of the best throws I've ever that seen, was, and, yeah, and certainly was, in college football. I mean, I've seen some great throws every week in the NFL, but that was obscene. Where does this leave? I mean, there's a, we've got a series of where does this leave now? Where does where does this leave Clemson? First of all this result I mean the caveat to everything I've said about how I, I think these teams are still on equal footing is that not only did Clemson have Lawrence is I think Justin Ross is going to be the best receiver in the 2021 draft as well I mean this kid is a joke absolute joke in, in every facet as well I mean he has absolutely everything so I think the combination of those two is is so exciting for Clemson fans Um and important as well because, you know, the big thing we thought, well, certainly we discussed Cy over the season, was were these offensive guys too young to win the championship this year? Um, I mean, that question's been answered now. The question next year is, is that same young group needs to carry the load a little bit more because as much as Clemson will recycle in some extra defensive linemen next year, and I'm sure they'll be really good, it's very difficult to lose four guys on a defensive line that will probably go in the top three rounds, top three to four rounds of the draft. And two of those, no, three of those guys will probably be first rounders as well. Yeah, so, you, I mean, so Ultimately, you're going to lose five players from that defensive line. So Dexter Lawrence and Christian Wilkins and Albert Huggins on the inside. Huggins as well, then, yeah. Yeah, and then Cleland Farrell and Austin Bryant on, on the edge. And, you know, that is going to hurt. You yeah, know, in, you the, in, in the, the same way that we, we said that said earlier on that Bama losing those defensive backs, Minka Fitzpatrick and those guys last year hurt, that could hurt Clemson next season. So this oh, offence needs to carry the load. And it showed up in that game, didn't it? It showed up in that game. Exactly. Uh, the exactly. the lack of defensive back talent, you know, they, they'd obviously brought in high recruits who had, had held up pretty well for true freshmen through the season, thinking specifically of, of Pat Satan Jr., but it did the fact that Ronnie Harrison wasn't there and Tony Brown and Minka Fitzpatrick hit that hurt them. That hurt I, th I think it. I think there's a leadership void with that as well. I mean, you know, a couple of those guys were seniors, and it sounds like had basically the 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 whole team was kind of built around their leadership. It's why they came back for the year. So I think that hurts as well. But 
you know, what we've seen now is that Dabo's built a programme, and programmes generally have guys that are ready to replace those guys, both on the field and off the field, and, and I would think that'll be the case here. The one thing they are going to have is the underrated storyline of the game is is Brent Venables, a defensive coordinator, who I thought, outside of Lawrence, was the star of the show on the night. Um, I thought the game plan was superb. They, they, they flat-out tricked to it more than the twice on the interception. Um and and just on, you know, Alabama got ahead of the chains a lot in this game. They got to second and three, third and two. And there was the amount of times in those situations that Clemson, particularly the defensive line, made the key plays. You know, that was a combination of the talent on the line, but also the, it just felt like Venables had the right call dialed up at the right time every every time. So I think he helps mitigate for that. But I wouldn't be surprised by the same account if, in the national championship game next year, Alabama won because they were able to run the ball for 250 yards because Clemson don't have the defensive line that they did this year. So I think that's the area looking ahead to next season I'd be worried about. But the reality is that this is an incredibly young team who are only going to get better. I mean, Clemson, we talk about the the seniors like Christian Wilkins, um, but yesterday, late last night and overnight, if you missed it, three more defensive players committed to leaving early and heading to the draft. Dexter Lawrence that we just talked about, Trayvon Mullen, who I just mentioned, but also Trey Lamar, the the Buckus Award finalist linebacker, is also yep. declared for the draft. Um, so, you know, there will be, there will be holes. Obviously, Xavier uh, Thomas is there, but, you know, there will be holes there for this, this team to fill. Where do you think this leaves Alabama? Where do you think... How do you think they recover? And how do you think Tua Tungvaloa recovers? Because this wasn't his greatest moment. Yeah, and, and the two ones interesting. I mean, if you if you really look at it, the two times he he had the big games, he was he was he let down by outrageous standards that he set over the rest of the season. That's the thing we are judging him by his own ludicrous standards. Um, I think he bounces back fine. I mean, I thought the Georgia game, which is the other one I'm referencing, was as much to do with injury as it was him his play or anything else I think the bad play was a result of injury that wasn't the case in this game this was this was being confused by a defensive coordinator who frankly I'm fairly certain would be a top tier defensive coordinator in the NFL and certainly who I'd like to see running his own college program but it doesn't seem to be something he's that interested in doing so you know it happens I think Bammer will be fine I mean they returned the vast majority of their own offense as well um, outside of, of running backs, I think Josh Jacobs will declare and Damien Harris as well. Um, they lose a little bit on the offensive line. I mean, Jonah Williams is a potential top five pick in the in the upcoming draft, so 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 that hurts on the offensive line. They lose Pierce Backer, don't they, and uh, Lester Cotton, the the left guard. I think that they're seniors, so I think they lose those two guys as well. So, yeah, so I mean, there's obviously going to be a. a General Tur- you know, Raekwon Davis has said that he's going to come back, but you know you suspect that obviously Tua comes back, Damian Harris leaves, Josh Jacobs as you just said, receivers wise they're fine, Irv Smith leaves. We've just talked about the offensive line. Defensively, Quinn and Williams will come out. I assume Isaiah Bugs um, will come out. Davis obviously returns as we just said. Mac Wilson potentially comes out. Both Christian Miller and Anthony Anthony Jennings. Um, Deontay Thompson, the safety looks like he'll declare as well. That's a lot of talent for them to. It is. I, I worry. To I worry less about that with Bama though, because I mean, Clemson recruited at an obscenely high level now, but nobody recruits at the level that Bama do. Um, and I mean, this time last year, we wouldn't have even had Quinn and Williams massively on our radar, would we? So, and he was the best, maybe the best player in college football this season. So, 
Yeah, I mean, it's tough to judge, but that that's kind of par for the course with Bama. But it's it's important because, as we saw in this game, it can catch up with you at the end of the season. And, and I genuinely think a lot of the issues in this game on third and long were, were catching up with them at the defensive backfield. Do you think, though, that there will come a time where you simply can't keep climbing the mountain? You can't keep replacing great players do you know what I mean in terms of the you know recruits can only be so good you can't keep replacing talents like Fitzpatrick and Williams and you know Rashad Evans and you know these kind of guys it's going to be at some stage that is going to catch up with you I mean I think Gordy wants serve and leaves because his you know his insatiable appetite for this I mean I, I can only imagine how many hours he's put in to next season already and with three days removed from the game. Like, I don't think that... Once that dies, I think the whole thing dies. Um, unless something else I think might happen, which is when Saban goes, Dabo Swinney goes to Alabama, which is where he's from and where he where he played as a walk-on wide receiver and everything else. I was going to say, because there doesn't seem to be a, 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 a progression plan for when Saban does retire, there doesn't seem to be anybody on the on the roster on the start. Yeah, it's not like a, a McDaniel's Belichick where you exactly. see a potential. There doesn't seem to be. Obviously, the other thing that we haven't talked about before we we just touch on a couple of other things from that game is that Jalen Hurts is going to transfer. He has entered the NCAA's transfer portal, which means that coaches can now make contact with him. He's already graduated, so it means that he's <clears throat> excuse me, it means he's eligible to play next year. Uh, Interesting news. Where do you think Hertz ends up? What do you think the future for Jalen will be? I have no idea where he ends up. I would love to see him in UCLA with Chip Kelly. I think that would be a perfect, perfect marriage. Um, I can't really. I mean, Oklahoma like would Oklahoma the... be interested in Joe? Really? Yeah, oh, that's interesting. Well, well, that would that would be a nice little boon for that program under under a new head coach. Really, early early on. so apparently. Apparently, he follows 293 people on Twitter, but yesterday he followed Manny Diaz, Miami running backs coach DJ Dallas, and their tight end coach Brevin Jordan. I mean, that, so, would, that would indicate that there's a good chance of it. Yeah, I, I like the fit. I, I mean, I'm desperate to see the U become relevant again, um, especially after having a, a, a flicker of that last season. Um, so, yeah, that would be interesting. It would also make... I mean, one of the things when you're asking about where does it leave Bammer is I think the SEC has improved dramatically. Um, I can see three teams in LSU, Florida and Texas A&M who I think are about to ascend into the upper echelon of that conference in a way that I can't see in the ACC. So, you know, a Jalen Hurts in Miami would make that a little bit make that program a little bit stronger. And I, and I do think that is one of the issues Bama might come up against the next couple of years. I, I can see a few of those programs ascending where maybe I can't necessarily see it in, in the Blue Blood ACC programs like Florida State and Miami. What about Oklahoma? I think Oklahoma would be a great fit for them. I mean, they've got, you know, they've got Spencer Rattler, who is a true freshman kid who they've recruited this year, five-star kid. Um, they've got another kid whose name I've forgotten. Who they've Austin basically Kendall is the yeah, name Austin apparent, Kendall. He's but, the one who. But Kendall's molded. already graduated. He's graduated already, and, and therefore is. And it, there was some talk that he was considering transferring himself. I think, therefore, again, eligible to play immediately. The other kid is Tanner Mordecai. Is it Tanner Mordecai? Who's the freshman? Um, the true freshman who apparently looked good in um, spring and in in camp, but obviously you know there's a lot to 
does a lot to for him to do there. Rattler, I mean, the top the- dual threat quarterback in the nation. You know, it feels like it's Rattler's job potentially to to lose if he can. You know, if he gets his feet under him. But I don't think there's any harm in Jalen Hurts coming in for a year that allows Rattler to to sit behind him and you know and is therefore eligible to take over as a as a sophomore. If I had a true freshman quarterback, I couldn't think of a better person to come into the no, program absolutely. for a year and and kind of act as mentor leader who knows what it's like at a big program from years of experience than Jalen Hurts, who from everything you say is an astonishing kid. My final point, Matt, I suppose, and the kind of the, the, the rounding up of the, the squaring of the circle, I suppose, that we've this journey that we've been on for 20-odd weeks is Trevor Lawrence. Obviously, he's won a national championship as a freshman, you know, the first time since 1985, and he did so, you know, not on a final field goal, but in an utterly dominant performance where he threw for 346 yards or something ridiculous. Um, Against what might have gone down as the greatest college team yeah, ever had the one. Absolutely. And now Clemson are in that conversation. Where does this leave Lawrence in terms of the hype machine? Because the hype machine is huge, obviously, already. I mean, you mentioned the Gil Brand uh, tweet earlier on, but Gil wasn't the only one. You know, everybody. Let's be realistic. If Trevor Lawrence was in this uh, this draft this year, he would be the first overall pick, and there's not a not a doubt about it. There's people saying Trevor Lawrence should sit out the next two seasons in case he gets hurt to protect his NFL future, which I don't. Obviously, I don't think it's going to happen because he's too much of a competitor. But correct me if I'm wrong, but Lawrence will enter the season next season on the number one team in the country and therefore it's their national championship to lose and as we've discussed on previous pods the Clemson schedule for next year is I mean patter cake patter cake Baker's man is the you know is a pretty apt way of describing their situation for next year I'm just trying to get it up now but you know there are not difficult games on Clemson's schedule next year I mean I think we, we discussed that Boston College was probably the most difficult game you know Akron um, oh, this is 2020, sorry. So let's get back to 2019, which I now don't have in front of me. There it is, 2019. Um, so Georgia Tech, Texas A&M, that may be the most difficult. But then they have a run of the Charlotte 49ers, the Wofford Terriers, South Carolina, BC, Florida State, Wake Forest, Louisville, NC State, North Carolina, Syracuse. You know, of those, Texas A&M and... Boston College and Syracuse were the only teams ranked in the top 25. You know, it's not yeah, a I mean, So if they come in, you know, let's be realistic. If they come in at uh, as the number one team, it's it's very difficult to think that they won't be challenged, particularly until the ACC championship game in December. And also what it will mean is that that new defensive line will have a few weeks to get their sea legs under them, as it were, before they face a, you know, Texas A&M will be a big challenge on September the 7th, but, you know, A&M is, you know, replacing a running back who's declaring for the draft, and, you know, there is talent on that team, but you wouldn't expect them to, but also they can, they could almost, um, they could almost take an early season that's, defeat, couldn't they? That's Much the one game they could afford to lose, yeah, isn't it? Absolutely. But, but Lawrence is going to come in on the number one team. He will be the de facto Heisman favourite and it will be his to lose. How do you think he will handle the pressure from knowing him from, A, how we do know him up close and personal, but also from, from what we know from the people who have been around him? How do we feel like it would be? I mean, brilliantly, I think it would be fine. I mean, this is, 
at my abiding memory of him and it'll be exciting when he's in the NFL and playing great there as well because I'll always remember this moment will be him carrying those water bottles away from the field yes. like just unprompted at, at, at his practice in high school this is after Nick Saban had landed his helicopter on the field and he'd been the icon of the town for five years and he just no fuss got up took the water bottles off smile on his face chatting to teammates I can't think of a more I mean, I've been around like high school kids different ones and college kids and NFL players and I, can, I can't immediately think of somebody who's had that kind of pressure so young and been so grounded so do you I think he'll win the Heisman fine. do you yeah. think he'll win the Heisman yeah I mean it, it, it's one of those scenarios now you know for a fact that the level of play is going to be there to win the Heisman um, and by having the reputation that he now has, he's almost 20% of the way there. It's almost like uh, when you said the national championship to lose, that without a, a ball being snapped is his to lose. He'll be top of every list before it starts. There'll be a load of confirmation bias, no matter who's playing better, etc. It was the same with Tua. I mean, Tua was guaranteed, had a great season, but he was guaranteed to win it unless of... He had a catastrophic performance, which he did in injury in the SEC title game. So, yeah, I think he will win it. I mean, I'd be stunned if he never. Might put and a then, bet on it this year, having called last year. And then 2021, 20, I mean, if he stays healthy, if he continues to develop as he clearly will do, um, I mean, it's he'll be a bigger... He'll be a bigger draft star he'll be a, a, a more powerful presence than even than Andrew Luck won't he yeah he will yeah draft. he will it's going to be like Andrew Luck-esque isn't it Luck's the, the only one in my lifetime I can remember being so so ludicrously hyped and that's what it's going to be that's provided he comes out I mean me and you you've put on Twitter side that from kind of some conversations we've had around both of these guys that we think that there's a chance to won't declare till 2021 and and also, I wouldn't be surprised if Trevor Lawrence doesn't. This is He comes from a good family. I think education's important to the family. He's a bright kid as well. I wouldn't be surprised if he stayed and finished his degree either. I think there's less chance of it than there is with Tua. So, so we have to wait and see. But whenever he does come out, he is going to be the best quarterback prospect since, I think it's certainly since Luck, potentially since Elway and maybe ever. And that, that's what we were told before we saw him play in college and... It's but it's it's born out that way, and uh, and I see nothing at all to change that. This there's no red flags whatsoever with the kid. Um, yeah, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a great journey to watch. The hype machine is real. This time next year, uh, who do you think we're talking about as national champion? Uh, Clemson. I mean, I'd, I'd, <laughs> no Alabama next year. I think Bama will respond big to this. I think Alabama will win it next year. It's a, yeah, I really do. Yeah, I, I I'm not buying into the Alabama's dead scenario. But I mean, if we were talking about any team outside of those two, I'd be stunned. Give us a couple of teams and give the listeners a couple of teams for um, you know peripheral teams just to look out for teams that you might not expect. I mean, because I, I think you're right. I think Clemson versus Alabama is going to continue. You know that there will be some some serious losses on both sides, but. You know they're they're just too good. Obviously Georgia, but you know you look at the players that Georgia are about to lose: yeah. Didi Baker, Jonathan Ledbetter, DeAndre Walker, um, Elijah Holyfield has 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 declared for the draft. Riley Ridley has declared for the draft. McCole Hardman has declared for the draft. Uh, Isaac Nuart of the tight end, uh, Lamont Guyard, who should be a you know 
top two or three round centre, Juwan Taylor at Lima. These are all gradually, there's a lot of, yeah, they've lost Justin Fields and obviously Fields wasn't starting, but, you know, they've lost a number of players and you're, there's a lot of pressure on that young uh, defensive secondary. Obviously, Ohio State lose Bosa and Paris Campbell and Draymond Jones and obviously Dwayne Haskins. So they're going to have to, you know, Justin Fields is going to have to get his his feet under the table ahead of Tate Martell fairly quickly. Who do you, give, give us a couple of teams, you know, just out of the periphery who you think, you know, because Texas, I've seen I've seen some top 10 rankings for Texas A&M, you know, like I yeah, said, I think it, Williams, yeah, no, but, but, you know, Jimbo Fisher has got this team, Kellen Mond obviously playing well, um, Chase Sternberger will go, Williams will go, but the, there's talent there. I think the three I mentioned in the SEC, Florida A&M and, and LSU have a big chance. If, 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 if any SEC team is gonna is gonna make an impact on Bama and Georgia as the top two, I think it, it's one of those three. Georgia are losing a lot of talent, but also last year was the first year any team not named Alabama had topped the recruiting rankings for years, and it was Georgia. So you would think that we start to see a lot more of this of that class next year. Um, I think the one team who could potentially break into this, and I hate to say it, into the top two who have any chance whatsoever is Ohio State, as much as the losing guys as ever. They've recruited a similar level to the to these two for the last five years. And, you know, every conversation we had about Trevor Lawrence's side was framed against this other kid called Justin Fields, who we were told these are the best two quarterback prospects of all time. And both of them were better than Deshaun Watson. We've not really seen anything of Fields at Georgia yet. He's going to almost certainly start for Ohio State. I think that he'll be eligible next year as well due to um, the he was racially abused by a baseball player and there's a chance he might play baseball. So they've got a case basically for him to play immediately. Um, and if he is as good as we were told by people in and around Georgia, then I think Ohio State are the one team who have a real chance to break into that top two. Um, Very soft non-conference Yeah, absolutely. A team I think will take a step back. Go on, sorry, I keep interrupting. No, sorry, a team I think you'll take a step back is Oklahoma. I just don't yes. think you can yeah. sustain at that level. You've had two Heisman winners in a row, and you're losing a, a first-round potential wide receiver as well in Marquise Brown. So, yeah, I think Oklahoma could take a big step back. Grand. Um, they, just going back to Ohio State for a sec, they also play, what, Michigan State, Wisconsin, and Penn State, all at the horseshoe. So, you know, in terms of... Big Ten foes, a lot of home games should be good. For, I'm going to throw Oregon into the mix. Yeah, the Oregon, we've said them a couple of times. The, the yeah, West Coast right. needs to needs to pick up, and I, I just think Justin Herbert returning. They, I, for me, they could be just a playoff sleeper. I'm not saying they could get in, but I, I wonder if they could be the, the sort of CFP dark horse. You know, every single starter from the offense that ranked number two in the Pac-12 in scoring is back. I know they threw up all over themselves in the, in the bowl game. But, you know, all f- four of the five offensive linemen are back um, and they're all going to be seniors, 133 starts combined. Defensively, they kept Jim Levitt. That's obviously huge for them. Um, and they had six, seven sophomores starting this season defensively. They're obviously going to be juniors. They've got one of the number one players in the nation, Kayvon Thibodeau, coming in, who'll be a freshman, this this defensive end that is, you know, supposed to be the kind of the defensive version of Trevor Lawrence. They look like the best team in the conference on paper. Obviously, I know games aren't played in paper, but they do have quite a tough 
schedule. I think they, they, they open against Auburn in, in Jerry World. I think they play Texas, and then they play Pac-12 road games at Stanford, at Washington, at USC, and at Arizona State. So, you know, there is going to be a pressure on them. But, you know, they win those games... And again, much like we talked this time last year, uh, this time at the start of the pod, with Auburn and Washington, it, those two playing off at the start of the season. If one of those two, the, the, the team that lost that game, Washington, you know, they weren't out of the race, were they? That early season loss against a, 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 a well-ranked, well-regarded foe isn't necessarily the death knell to a team's chances. So in a way, Oregon can afford to lose a season opener against Auburn in a neutral venue and still not be entirely out of the uh, out of the running when it comes to the playoff. The final team I would mention, Si, as well, on the same Pac-12 theory, is the team who lost to Auburn this season in Week 1, which is Washington, who will have Jacob Eason, who people might remember as the five-star quarterback at Georgia, who was usurped in the middle of uh, um, last season because he got injured, he will be eligible to play next year. So he's going to be their quarterback. So he's a potential NFL draft prospect as well who needs a big season having transferred and and being ineligible this year. So potentially Washington as well. I wonder, they lose a lot of talent though, don't they? Ben Burkirvin, Byron Murphy, Taylor Rapp, um, Jake Browning, Miles Gaskin obviously declared for the draft. There's a lot of talent. It's a lot of pressure on Jacob Eason, you know, he has to hit the ground running immediately to be, you know, for them to be competitive, I think. But we shall see. Anyway, I think we are done. Thank you very much indeed for listening to us throughout this season. I hope we've managed to entertain you at least once or twice. Um, don't forget, you can uh, you can go back and watch some of the bowl games, some of the great bowl games that you may have missed. Uh, you can go back and watch the national championship game on ESPN's on-demand system. Uh, you can watch daily programming via the SEC network, the Longhorn network, uh, and also the the large collection of 30 for 30 documentaries, which are well worth um, you delving through. There's something like 65 already on there, um, I think, with more to come. Thank you again. Thanks from Matt. Thanks from me. Hopefully we should be back next season to do it all over again. It has been a great college football season. We've both really enjoyed it, I think. Thanks for your company, Matt, and um, we shall see you soon. Situation in the Pacific is worse than reported. The Japanese are planning something big. What's the target? Midway. From the director of Independence Day. A couple dozen planes. It's all Japanese fleet. We got the order to launch. Discover the incredible true story. Today we're going to be underdogs. Of the World War II battle. Good luck, boys. Fire! Midway. Download and keep now.